You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. We've never met before. Uh, welcome. My name is Matt Lulloyan. I serve as one of the, the pastors here at Liberty Church. And we're glad uh, to have you with us today for, for whatever reason you might find yourself here. Uh, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, uh, we, are, we are not put off by any questions you might have, any doubts you might be wrestling with, uh, or even if you find in, your, in yourself this morning a little bit of hostility toward Christians or the Christian faith. As we're going to close out our study in Philippians today, we, we remember that Paul, the man who wrote these letters, was once himself a persecutor of followers of Jesus. Uh, he says, He once tried to destroy Jesus' church. But then Paul met the risen Jesus. And he came to discover what he writes in this letter, that that there was nothing that could compare to the worth, the surpassing worth of knowing him. And this former enemy became not only an example, but also one of the most effective spreaders of this good news about Jesus that the world has ever known. So every one of us in this room this morning who is a Christian, we owe Paul a debt of gratitude. Even more, every one of us that is a Christian in the room this morning, we once ourselves, as we even sang about earlier, we once were enemies, but now have become friends of Jesus through his finished work. So truly, wherever you find yourself this morning, welcome to you. When I was uh, briefly a, a journalism student in college, I learned that the, the most important part of a news story is the lead, the beginning. Uh, the beginning really was everything because often that was the only part of a news story people would actually read. The end of the story is where all the extra details, kind of the fluffy stuff, would go. And especially in the days of print journalism, which I know we're we're rapidly leaving behind the days of print journalism. But in the days of print journalism, the end was the stuff where an editor or a copy layout person could just chop off the end of your story and make it all fit if there wasn't enough room. But a personal letter like Philippians is different than that. It's the last words of a letter like this that are the most important. And we remember this morning that originally there was only one copy of Philippians. It was a letter that was delivered by Epaphroditus to Paul. There was a letter to Paul, and then Paul sent a letter back. And originally it was read aloud there in the city of Philippi to the recipients. So the last words would be the ones that were left ringing in the ears of the men and women who heard it. The Apostle Paul, we're going to hear today, uses this valuable space to get back to his initial purpose in writing this letter, which is to thank the Philippians. As he was there, as he was imprisoned in Rome, they sent material gifts. They sent financial help to him. The Philippians showed up for Paul in a time of real need. And Paul is writing this letter because he's grateful. So you know how if you've ever uh, given money to a nonprofit organization, you've often got a donor thank you letter back from someone in their organization? In a way, you can think of Philippians as the most theologically robust donor thank you letter ever written. And at the end of it, as Paul here is reiterating how much he appreciates the generosity of the Philippians, it gives him a chance to talk about contentment. So as we conclude Philippians this morning, let's dive in 
We're going to be in Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. And if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, page 982 uh, is where you can find that. But I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, that word in the original language means siblings, so the brothers and sisters who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. God of life, as we celebrate today, your spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Your spirit inspired the prophets and the apostles and the writers of scripture. Your spirit draws us to Christ and helps us to acknowledge him as our savior and our Lord. And so we ask even now that you would send your spirit to give us deeper insight, encouragement, faith, and hope through the proclamation of this Easter gospel. And it is in in the name of Jesus, the risen one, we pray all of these things. Amen. Two things uh, for us to look at this morning as we consider what it means to press on with contentment. Two things, the secret and the supply. The secret and the supply. So first, the secret. One of the most well-known parts of this letter, and maybe you recognized it as uh, I read it for you a moment ago, is verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Of all the verses we have in the Bible that get taken completely out of context, this one is up there as one of the worst offenders. Uh, In particular, it's become a favorite of Christian athletes and Christian camping ministry. So we're going to try a little experiment this morning. How many of you have ever owned a t-shirt, a sports or a camp t-shirt with Philippians 4.13 printed on it? Anybody willing to put their arm up? My hand's up to you. Safe space. It's, you know, safe, safe space here. Okay, a few of you guys are willing to admit that. I'm not exactly sure how we got there as Christians in like the last few decades. How did we get there? It's like we thought instead of being in prison, Paul had a big soccer match coming up later that day. Or if that I just would throw on like a sleeveless Philippians 4.13 t-shirt, I could just bench press 300 pounds all of a sudden. Or you could. I can do that without Jesus. I'm huge, so... <laughs> Don't worry about me. 
Jeremy's laughing the most because I actually work out with Jeremy. Two hundreds is a struggle for me, so that's not me. That's not me. Okay, this morning, we're going to grant amnesty for all past Philippians 4.13 t-shirts, okay? Happy Easter. You're absolved. But let's just make a pact that from today forward, we're always going to read this verse in context. We're always going to read it in context. Is Paul talking about sports? No. Is Paul giving some kind of Christian version of the saying, I can do anything I set my mind to? No. What's he doing? He's talking about contentment. Contentment. You see, as much as he appreciates the Philippians' gift, and he does appreciate it, he's saying, there's something I appreciate more. And it's that I have learned the secret of contentment. Look again at verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the what? The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So what is Paul's secret? It's that he can do all things through Jesus who strengthens him. That Jesus will give him the strength to face and to endure any circumstance that he might experience in his life. From the book of Acts and other letters and other parts of the New Testament, we actually know quite a bit about how Paul was brought low. We know about his beatings and his imprisonments like the one he's experiencing here. We know about his near-death experiences. We know a lot less about the times he abounded and had plenty, but he had those too. And as he looks to Jesus, as he puts his confidence in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, he receives strength to walk through all of those things with contentment. He's saying here, abundance and plenty, yeah, in Jesus, I can do that. Hunger and need in Jesus, I can, I can do that too. Now, we live in a society plagued by discontentment. Plagued by discontentment. It seems that, that everywhere we look, everybody's miserable. Nobody's happy. Nobody's satisfied. But forget society. Forget society. It's easy to pick on society at large. My own soul is plagued by discontentment. And maybe if you're honest, you would say the same thing about yours. So, for example, in this housing market, crazy as it's been, when I've had friends sell their homes and make a great profit on it, I, my family and I right now, we have no reason or desire to move anywhere. We're happy where we are. But all of a sudden, that happens, and I immediately feel discontent. Immediately. Like, man, the home I live in isn't that great anymore. Or maybe I'm falling behind. This is the moment that everyone's kind of trading up. Maybe I'm falling behind if I'm not trading up too. Or vocationally, as a pastor, when a friend of mine gets that chance to, to speak at that event or that conference or to write that article that's getting published over here and I'm not. Or why, you know, our church can't be more like that church down the street in the way they do that thing so well. Why can't we be more like that? Discontentment is, is a disease. And it infects our view of everything. So the things that I'm sharing with you here about my life this morning, these are these are abounding circumstances. These are problems of plenty, not need. We, we might hear of Paul and his circumstances and understand his discontentment. He's, he's chained up in Rome. He's awaiting this trial that very well might be the end of his life. I, on the other hand, live in a nice neighborhood, and I have a stable job that provides for my family. But the reality is, contentment or discontentment is a way of life. And if we're discontent in times of need, we're going to be discontent in times of plenty too, and vice versa. 
One of the great lies of Satan is that discontentment will just disappear when our circumstances change. Have, have you ever believed that? Have you ever bought that lie? That your discontentment would just disappear when your circumstances change? And if you did, how did that work out for you? Even if you got what you wanted so bad in that moment, if you got it, did it cure your discontentment? It might have dealt with the symptoms of it for a few hours, or maybe if you're lucky, a few days or weeks, but it cured nothing. This kind of contentment that Paul is writing about here is not rooted in circumstances at all. It's rooted in Christ. It can only come by trusting in Jesus and by taking hold of the strength that he provides. So another word for this kind of contentment is satisfaction. It's being satisfied. And as we've heard throughout this letter, there is one source of that kind of satisfaction. It's from gaining Christ and being found in him. Everything else is loss compared to that. Everything else is rubbish, garbage, compared to gaining Christ and being found in him. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know how to be brought low? Do you know how to be brought low? Can you experience suffering and pain and disappointment in your life? Can you go through times of testing and trials? Can you, can you be humbled or even at times humiliated and still be content? This is not the same thing as, as stoicism. And Paul here seems to be taking specific aim at a stoic view of the world that was actually prevalent in Philippi at this time. The Stoics taught that the ideal person could simply rise above their circumstances. They could just take everything in stride and be unaffected by it. But if you think about it, that's self-sufficiency. That's trusting your own strength to endure something. Paul is talking about Jesus' sufficiency. He's talking about trusting the strength Jesus provides, which is a completely different thing. Self-sufficiency will, will never, can never lead to contentment. When, when you're brought low, if you try to rely on your own strength, it will make you either resentful or resigned. You'll become resentful and bitter. You'll become obsessed with how hard your life is, how unfair it is, how much worse it is than the next person. Or you'll become resigned and apathetic. You'll, you'll carry yourself through your life with this kind of who cares attitude. Jesus' sufficiency, however, if you even think about the weekend that we're in right now and celebrating together, Jesus' sufficiency takes hold of all the implications of Good Friday. Jesus' sufficiency comes from seeing that Jesus on the cross was forsaken by God so that you never would be. That Jesus endured the cross, scorning the shame, so that you can actually endure whatever is put before you. You can be brought low because Jesus was brought lower. And think about this, it was in his act of being brought that low that he ransomed your life, that he made you his own. So however low you might possibly be brought, be brought in this life, however bad your circumstances might get, you can endure it because you are always found in him. You're always found in him. Do you know how to be brought low? On the other hand, do you know how to abound? Can you live in abundance with contentment? Or will you always need more? Will what you have, plentiful as it might be, never be enough? I think in some ways it's actually more difficult to be content when you abound, when you have plenty. Jesus, if you think about it, spoke very often in his life and ministry about the spiritual dangers 
of material prosperity, of material wealth. You can think about it like this. If people in need are prone to be self-sufficient and trust their own strength, well, how much more people that have an abundance, people that have plenty, and start to kid themselves that they have that abundance through their own strength, through their own efforts. If the secret to being brought low is the implications of Good Friday, then the secret to abounding is the implications of this day, of Easter Sunday. See, Jesus was brought lower than you ever could be, than you ever will be, but he has been raised up. He has conquered Satan and sin and death. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He will reign forevermore. And so any experience that we might get in this life of plenty or abundance is simply a foretaste of the abundance of his kingdom. It's just a glimpse of what Jesus has secured for all of those who put their faith and their hope in him. Apart from Jesus, we will always be longing for something more. And if I think about it, that's the source of so much of my own discontentment. I think that's the source of so much of our society's discontentment. Our souls are hardwired for something more than we often experience in this life. But in Jesus and through the strength that he provides, we can find real contentment, not only in hoping in this future that awaits us, but in foretastes of forever, in glimpses of his kingdom that we actually get to experience in this life here and now. So here's a really practical way to put this into practice, into action, even today. As you know, I hope you know, you probably know now, today's Easter Sunday. Today's Easter. And that means that sometime in the next few hours, many of us will find ourselves feasting. I know that's not where all of us are or are able to be in life right now, but many of us are going to find ourselves in a moment this afternoon of abounding. There will be plenty on your table. There will be plenty of good food. There will be plenty of good drink. Today, feast as a foretaste. Feast as a foretaste. This is not a day for moderation. And if you're like, did, did pastor just tell me to get drunk today? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this is not a day for moderation. We just had 40 of those in Lent. This is not a day for moderation. Jesus was dead, but is alive forevermore. So today, in your feasting, take hold of his resurrection. Take hold of the eternal life which he offers all who put their hope in him. Think on all that Jesus is for you as the risen king. Think on all his kingdom will be when he brings it to completion. What else could you possibly need? And sometimes we're discontent because we don't actually take hold of what's held out to us. Even in our plenty, even in our abounding, take hold of it today. And this afternoon, put your discontentment to death in the face of the risen Jesus. Feast is a foretaste today. Church, you can be brought low because Jesus was brought lower. You can abound because Jesus abounds forever. And because, because of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, you really can face all things. You can do all things in the right context through Christ who strengthens you. That's the secret of contentment. Second, second, let's talk about the supply. As he thanks them for their financial support, Paul offers the Philippians this incredible promise. Of course, Paul's writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit through Paul gives them this incredible assurance that we read there in verse 19. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How's that for a promise? God will supply every need we have, every one of them. Like verse 13, these words have also been very often taken completely out of their context. Uh, Maybe most tragically, by people who peddle this lie that's sometimes called the prosperity gospel. In other words, that if we would just give our money to this person or this church or this ministry, if we would sow our best gift, sometimes this is the language that's used, that God would bless us with physical health and material wealth and prosperity. Now here's the thing, if that's what Paul meant, he apparently never took his own advice. If that's, what, if that's what God supplying every need actually means, then why would Paul ever need to know how to be brought low? Why is he ever hungry? Why is he ever in need? Now, our, our needs are not the same thing as our wants. The Philippians, we come to find out, were financially supporting Paul at the risk of not having enough for themselves. We read in a different letter in 2 Corinthians that the Philippian church was not a wealthy church. They were not a wealthy congregation. Paul in 2 Corinthians holds them up as an example of generosity. But as he's doing that, he says, their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity, for they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They were a poor church that gave not only what they could wisely give, but beyond what they could wisely give. And so when Paul says, God will supply your every need, he isn't saying, Okay, Philippi, get ready for the windfall. Here comes God's payday to you. You're never going to need anything ever again in your life. You're never going to want anything ever again in your life. He's saying, God sees your generosity, friends. He sees that you're sacrificing to make this possible. And he is going to meet any need that's created by your generosity. You can't be more generous than God, in other words. You can't outgive God. And if we, like the Philippians, sacrificially and generously open our hands to meet the real needs of other people, God will open his hand and meet ours. Now, on top of that, what Paul's saying here is that God isn't just going to meet our material need, but our ongoing need for endurance and steadfastness and humility and peace and joy. All the things, if you've been with us in this series, that he's been calling the Philippians to do and to pursue. Just as he started this letter saying, he who began this good work in you will carry it on to completion. Now at the end of this letter, he's saying, God will supply your every need. The scope here is as big as it sounds. He will bring it all to completion. He will supply your every need. Now here's the other thing we get to see there in verse 19. God's supply, Paul says, is not out of his riches. It's according to them. So this is not God doling out a few bills from his cosmic billfold, as it were. It's actually way better news than that. One commentator puts it this way, said, if I had a million dollars and gave you a hundred dollars, I would be giving out of my riches. However, if I gave you a blank check, I would be giving according to my riches. See, the, the prosperity gospel doesn't just confuse wants for needs it actually aims way too small. It aims way too small. It's way too easily satisfied. It's a counterfeit contentment. 
Health, wealth, and prosperity can't satisfy you, can't satisfy me, any more than plentiful circumstances can make us truly content. And even if you were to wind up in your life with silly money, like Elon Musk money, buy Twitter for $40 billion or some crazy number I can't even comprehend, you would find you need more, that you are made for more. You were made to share in all of God's riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That you were made for the inheritance of God's eternal kingdom. And anything less than that actually makes a mockery of God's promise to supply every need. This is God giving according to his riches in glory. Through Jesus, you are given the blank check to inherit all of it. Just for most of us who won't be in this life. But all of it, not some of it. There in verse 15, Paul calls the Philippians partners in both giving and receiving. And what we see here at the close of this letter is that because this is true, because God will supply every need, you and I have both something to give and something to receive. So we have something to give. We have something to give. As we trust God to supply our needs, our hands open. Like the church in Philippi, we become generous not only within our means, but beyond. See, our generosity is always a, a window into our hearts. And, and far more than, than what we say we believe, far more than the doctrinal statements that we kind of ascribe to, our wallets and our bank accounts, they are what give a more honest picture of what we believe. They give a more honest picture of, of who we actually trust to supply our every need. So it's not a mistake here that Paul starts to use the language of sacrifices in verse 18. He's saying to the Philippians, your financial gifts to support the work of the gospel, they are a fragrant offering. They are a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. If that language sounds familiar, that's, that's really good. Uh, we're actually remembering this weekend that Jesus offered up his life for the life of the world that Jesus offered up his life for your life and for my life. And we're remembering this weekend that, that what the blood of countless sacrifices of bulls and goats, what countless sacrifices of loaves and wine could never do, Jesus Christ did with his own body and blood. That he became the fragrant offering. That he is the sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And when we give, we get to display that. We get to display that to the world. Our giving is a reflection of Jesus' giving. Our gifts are reflections of his ultimate gift. To speak on behalf of the deacons and the elders of our church this morning, uh, we are continually encouraged by how generous a church you are, by how generous a people you are. Be affirmed in that today, Liberty Church. By the grace of God, so many of you have become incredibly generous. And over the past 10 years now of being a, a church family together, that's enabled us not only to, to be a church and to do ministry together here, but to give away more than half a million dollars to other church plants and to other ministries of mercy. That's not even counting all the special offerings and drives for items and things like that that we've done on top of it. We have, as you heard, another opportunity today with our Easter offering for Water is Basic, I just would invite you this morning, let it display your confidence that God really will supply your every need. 
Let it always, let any offering we would ever take here display our ultimate confidence that God is the one who supplies our needs. We have something to give, but also we see here at the end of Philippians, we have something to receive. Generosity itself requires both a giver and a receiver. And Paul here is getting at that in verse 17 when he says, even more than the gift, I am seeking the fruit that increases to the Philippians' credit. In other words, he, he's really grateful to receive this gift for his own sake. He's in this real place of need. It's really helpful to him for him to get this gift. But also, he's glad to receive it for their sake. It, it gives the Philippians an opportunity to be generous. So imagine if in this moment, if Paul refused their financial gift, even if he refused stating some kind of pious reason, like, hey, thanks so much, Philippians, but actually, I really want to show in this moment that I can be brought low, uh, that I don't really, that I, can, that I can be content when I'm hungry and when I have need, so I can't take this gift. If he were to do that, it would, it would rob the Philippians of their opportunity in this moment to display the generosity of Jesus. Generosity requires both a giver and a receiver. Which means, men and women, if God is the one, as he's promising here, to supply our every need, we have to actually receive it. We have to actually receive it. And if there's a part of the message of Jesus Christ that is offensive to 21st century Americans, self-sufficient, plentiful, people of plenty and abundance that most of us are, it's that in this story, you are the recipient. That in this story, in the economy of God, you are the charity case. I am the charity case. Before we ever get to display Jesus' generosity through our giving, we have to actually receive his generosity. And just like Paul received the Philippians' gift and it was to their credit, we receive Jesus' generosity, verse 20, so that all of the glory forever and ever belongs to God alone. Some of you are here this morning might be incredibly generous people. And perhaps you're even generous specifically under this banner of being a, a faithful and good, moral Christian man or woman. If that's you, that is wonderful. I mean, truly, that's, that is incredible. I am sure your generosity of your time and your service and your financial and material things has blessed and helped a lot of people. What I would ask you this morning is, have you received? Have you received? Have you acknowledged that when it comes to the thing that matters most, when it comes to the eternal state of your soul and the forgiveness of your sins and the deepest longings of your heart actually being met, you are the charity case. Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you received the benefits of his finished work? For all of you who hear here this morning, you have received, well, God forbid that we would ever forget. Generous as we are, I'm grateful for that. Generous as I hope we become even more and more in days ahead. Remember that we were recipients first and that we are recipients always. Paul here receives the Philippians gift and he says in verse 18, I have received full payment and more. And in the original language of this letter, that statement could be translated, hey, thank you, Philippians, paid in full. And is that not the anthem of a Christian on this day, on Easter Sunday? It is finished. Christ is risen. 
paid in full. Paid in full. Thanks be to God that he has supplied every need of ours in Jesus. Thanks be to God he will supply every need of ours in Jesus. Let us receive it. Let us receive it. Friends, this morning, may you know the secret of contentment, that you can be brought low because on Good Friday, Jesus was brought lower, and that you can abound because on Easter Sunday, Jesus was raised up. May you truly trust God to supply your every need. Give as a display of the generosity of Jesus, his once for all sacrifice that was acceptable and pleasing to God. But to the glory of God forever and ever, let us first and let us always receive. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for enduring the cross, scorning the shame. Father, thank you for raising Jesus up. Holy Spirit, thank you for applying all of the grace and all of the benefits of this great work of salvation to us. We ask this morning that you would teach us the secret of contentment, that you would help us even today to trust that you really will supply our every need. And even now, as we prepare to come to your table, Remind us that we are always recipients. Before we would open our hands to give you anything this morning, we now come opening our hands to receive. And as it was true of those disciples in Emmaus on that first Easter Sunday when you rose from the dead, may we now know you in the breaking of this bread. And pray all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.